Uh, well, welcome again to Faith. Uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors on staff here. We're glad to have you with us. Again, whether you're with us in person, whether you're joining us online today. Uh, as we begin uh, today uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to observe a Easter tradition that the church has observed for centuries now. And the tradition is really very simple. It begins with somebody saying, he is risen, and then those who hear that respond with, he is risen indeed. And so if you're watching on the live stream feed today, you'll put, he is risen indeed, into the chat stream there. If you're with us in person, you're going to say that out loud. So everybody ready? Yep. All right, here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Excellent, excellent. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you just for uh, Easter Sunday. Thank you for time to come together and just remember uh, that a lifeless body was laid into a tomb and by the power of God's spirit was risen again from the dead just to show us that the broken, lifeless spirit within us is not beyond redemption, that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, that there is redemption for our souls, that there is grace available to us. Just as we think and as we celebrate and we worship today, I pray you would pour out your spirit onto us. Make our minds and our hearts open to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I want to share a story with you. And for sure, today's story is Jim and Janelle's story. And probably most of us would even agree that uh, today's story is Jesus' story. Today's story is the story of Easter. And some of us here in this room would even say, after hearing it, that today's story is our story. It's my story, and that it's your story as well. But we'll start with Jim. Jim Monroe was raised in Southern California. He, um, as a kid, was at a trade show and ran into a magician there. And at that show, Jim fell in love with magic. Loved the idea that, that you could get somebody to think that something is actually, truly, really happening, while in fact it wasn't. The idea of being able to perform an illusion that would you know, blow somebody's mind, Jim just fell in love with that and got into magic himself. And he had a, a best friend named Tyson who got into magic with him. And by the time they graduated from college, they decided they were going to start their own magic show. And so they started off playing little events, you know, like, you know, family parties and kids' birthdays and graduated to schools and festivals and eventually got to a point where they were pretty good and they're drawing some serious crowds. Now, the way the show would work every time is for the first half of the show, Jim and Tyson would perform these illusions and again, they just blow people's minds with what they were doing. But then the second half of the show would be different. And, and Tyson would let folks know, you know, before they got to the second half, he'd warn them, hey, th this is going to be different. For the second half of the show, we're just going to have a conversation about spirituality. And, and we don't want to bait and switch anybody. If, if you, we, we'd love for you to stay for the second half of the show for the conversation. But if you don't want to or you're opposed to that kind of thing, you can leave and nobody will be mad at you. And then for the second half of the show, Tyson would talk about the, the, the spiritual reality that exists behind the, the curtain of our physical world. He would talk about a God in heaven who we could live in relationship with and, and, and what God has done to make that relationship possible. 
And for that second half of the show, Tyson would lead the charge. And even though during the first half of the show, both Jim and Tyson were doing it, for the second half of the show, Tyson's leading and Jim just faded into the background. Because while Jim grew up around church and he, he was well acquainted with everything that Tyson was talking about, at that point in Jim's life, Jim just wasn't sure about this whole Jesus, this whole God, this whole church thing. But Tyson would, he, he'd, he'd go on. And Tyson would, would, would talk about passages, you know, like from, from Romans 6, where Paul will say, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or, or Tyson would talk about passages like Romans 7, where, where Paul will say, For sin seized the opportunity afforded by the commandment and deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. And Tyson would, would talk about how sin was a disease that we all had, that it was killing us spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and more like it was, it was like a poison running through our veins. And Jim would listen to Tyson talk about how, you know, hey, you, like God has done something to bring healing to our lives from this disease. There's an antidote for this poison that God has tried to make available to us. And all the while Tyson would talk about these things, and Jim would just kind of watch. And he'd wonder, is the second half of the show just as much an illusion as the first half of the show? Now, Jim is you know, kind of working through this conflict and what he grew up with and what his best friend believes and where he's at himself. At one point, Jim gets to, to a place where he prays a very dangerous prayer. Not even sure if anybody's listened. He prays, God, if, if you're really real, do whatever it is you have to do to show me. God, if, if, you, if you truly exist, take me behind the curtain. And let me see that. Let me see that this isn't just an illusion. Now, sometime after praying that prayer, tragedy struck Jim's life in a couple of ways. Jim's about 29, and Tyson dies. Tyson went on a solo hiking trip. He fell off of a cliff into a river, and he drowned. And Tyson's death, it, I mean, just... It devastated Jim on an emotional level. He became depressed. He became, began to isolate. His marriage began to suffer for what he thought. He was going to wind up getting divorced. He was in a bad place. And then on top of that, his left leg began to hurt. And it didn't matter what he did, what he tried, it just hurt. And he couldn't figure out why or what was going on. And so eventually Jim got up one day and he, he, like he literally could not walk on the leg. And his wife was like, enough of this. We're going to the hospital. And so they took him to the hospital. They ran a whole pile of tests on Jim. And the doctor came in and said, we, we, we know what's wrong. Your leg hurts so bad because it's literally breaking from the inside. See, Jim, you have acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Now, as a side note, I'm really disappointed that none of you cheered when I pronounced that term properly, all right? <laughs> I spent an entire week practicing that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. All right. But, but Jim, Jim is like, you know, the doctor's like, Jim, here's what's going on. Your white blood cells are making bad copies of bad copies of bad copies of bad copies of bad copies. Your immune system has gone completely haywire. Your immune system is supposed to be the part of you that recognizes when something foreign has made its way into your body, sees it as something foreign, and attacks it. Instead, your immune system is attacking you. 
It's killing you from the inside. Your blood is like poison running through your veins. And if we don't do something about this, you're going to be dead in about three months. So they do two things for Jim. First of all, they start him on chemotherapy. And two rounds into chemo, Jim is miserable. Just miserable. He's sick. He's emotionally distraught. He does not like what's going on. Now, I heard an interview with Jim. Well, in the interview, Jim, he said this. He said, in adversity, you find out what it is that you really believe to be true. When life really goes south, that's, what you, that, that's when you discover what it is that you really believe in. And Jim looked at the way he was suffering. He looked at the way the suffering seemed to run unchecked in the world around him. And Jim came to the conclusion, you know what? There is no all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God out there. And he just wrote God off. Second thing they did for Jim, though, I mean, the first thing they started on chemo, second thing they did for Jim, it pushed back on the conclusions Jim came to about God when he was in chemo. Now, first the pushback was kind of gentle and Jim could kind of brush it off. Then the pushback became stronger and harder to deal with. And eventually the pushback became overwhelming and incontrovertible to Jim. Second thing they did is they put him on the bone marrow transplant list. At the time, it was a list with a little better than 700 million people on it. And they said, Jim, we're hoping for two things. Thing number one, we're hoping that we find somebody on this list who's a match for you. And then two, if we can find a match, we hope that that person will give you their blood. Listen, we can find a match. We can't take it from them. They have to willingly give it. And as Jim is having this conversation, it brings to mind him things that he heard when he was a kid at church, like the the words of Jesus come to mind for Jim. Jesus said, I lay my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And those those words of Jesus come to Jim's mind, but he, he brushes them off pretty easily, and instead he thinks, okay, like, what are the odds they're going to find a match for me? Roughly one in 700 million, right? And so Jim just goes back to chemo. Now, as all of this is happening with Jim, across the country, we have 19-year-old Janelle. And Janelle is at the Warped Tour. Everybody's familiar with the Warped Tour? Yeah, okay, so the Warped Tour, it's this multi-day rock festival where you go from tent to tent to tent, day after day after day, to these incredibly loud bands where, you know, your your ears are bleeding from the music, right? Janelle's there, and she's heading from one tent, you know, one concert to the next tent and the next concert, and as she does, she sees this little tent that doesn't belong, And there's this sign on the tent that says, become a bone marrow donor. And Janelle thinks, I can rock the house and do some good. Yeah, right? (laughs) So she goes in a little tent and says, I want to become a bone marrow donor. And they swab her mouth and then they send her on her way. And she doesn't think anything of it. Until six months later, she gets a phone call. They said, Janelle, you're an initial match for somebody on the list here. Will you come in? We want to run this whole pile of blood tests on you. You see, again, your bone marrow produces your white blood cells. And that's huge. It's a huge part of your immune system. 
And again, your immune system recognizes you know, something that's foreign that's made its way inside of you, and it attacks that thing. So with a transplant, what you're doing is you are taking the healthy immune system out of a donor, and you're putting it into a receiver. But again, but again, your immune system recognizes something foreign that's made its way into you. And so what you have to do to have a successful transplant is you have to take this immune system out of the donor and you have to fool the receiver's body into thinking this is something natural. This is part of them. And the way you do that is you make sure that the donor and the receiver are an exact DNA match. Otherwise, that receiver's body is going to reject that, that, that transplant and they're going to attack it. So they run all these tests on Janelle. And after they do, they discover that out of more than 700 million people on the registry, Janelle is the one person on the entire thing who is a perfect DNA match for Jim. And they ask her, will you do it? And she says, yeah, yeah, I will. Now, they take Janelle in, they hook her up to this machine. They pump her body full of these drugs that cause her immune system to just explode, like kick into overdrive. And, and she starts pumping out all these unmatured stem cells. And then the machine, it takes her blood out of her body, filters out those stem cells that they want, and they put it back into her again. Yes, Janelle, right? So Janelle is having this done, and Jim, again, is on the other side of the country, miserable getting chemo, sick, unhappy, just wants to die. Until so one day his doctor comes in and says, Jim, we've got great news for you. We, we found a donor. We found a donor. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a date. We're going to bring you in the office. And we're going to give you this medication we've named, nicknamed Shake and Bake. Yeah. We're going to give you Shake and Bake. And basically the Shake and Bake, it is going to wipe out whatever else remains of your white blood cells. Because again, Jim, your, 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 your blood is like poison running through your veins. It's killing you. And then we're going to take this donor's blood that's free from the poison, and we're going to put their blood inside of you. And because their DNA is a match for yours, their, their blood should get into your bone marrow, and it should cause it to produce new and healthy white blood cells. By you receiving this clean blood in place of the poison blood, you should receive a whole new immune system, and this should deal with the cancer. Now, as Jim is having this conversation with his doctor, it brings, again, all kinds of memories from his childhood and being at church come crashing into Jim's mind. And the parallels between the physical world and the spiritual world are getting harder for him to brush off. This idea that, that he's going to receive Janelle's blood and it's going to make him clean from his cancer and what he had been told as a kid about Jesus' blood and what that could do for his sin, Jim is like, it's like nagging at him. Like verses from this one from Hebrews comes to mind for Jim. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. See, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that in Jesus, we have someone who is human, like we are. 
Just like Janelle's DNA matched Jim's, Jesus' DNA matches ours. But Jesus, while he's exposed to the poison of sin, he never sinned like we did. Which, which meant for Jim that just like the blood running through Janelle's veins was clean and able to save him from the cancer that plagued him, the, the blood running through Jesus' veins was clean and able to save him from the sin that plagued his life. Jim's thinking this passage, and then more comes storming to the front front of Jim's mind. He, like, just, he, like he thinks of another passage from Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews compares the blood of Jesus to the blood of animals that were used in the sacrificial system in the Torah. And, and the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. How much more than will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Or Jim thinks that, you know, a passage that the apostle Peter wrote about the blood of Jesus. He says, for you know, that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from, your, from our ancestors. No, it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Or you read the book of Revelation and there's all these songs that they sing about Jesus in there. One of the, the songs says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, in passages like these and others like them throughout the New Testament, we're taught that the blood of Jesus willingly shed on the cross for us, that blood can cleanse us from our sins. And again, Jim found the parallels between the, the physical medical world and the spiritual world harder and harder to push off. The, this idea that Janelle's blood could cleanse his life from the disease of cancer and how that related to Jesus' blood that could cleanse his soul from the disease of sin, Jim just was harder and harder for him to ignore these things. So they, they, they harvest Janelle's stem cells and then they set a date for the procedure. That date being April 23rd. Everybody say April 23. April Remember that date. It's going to be important. All right, it's relevant. So Jim goes in. Sit down with his doctor to find out what's going to happen on April 23rd. Now mind you, Jim's doctor is Jewish. He is not a follower of Jesus. He, he doesn't believe in this whole New Testament thing. Jim sits down with his doctor. And his doctor says to him, Jim, ready to be born again? Just what? He says, Jim, are you ready to be born again? Again, we're, we're going to give you shake and bake. For all intents and purposes, it's going to kill the old you. And with this transplant, you're going to have someone new living inside of you. Jim, this system of blood that you're going to receive, it's going to save your life and it's going to give you a new life. Now, you want to talk about pushback. All of a sudden, the words of the Apostle Paul come just running into Jim's mind. And Jim remembers what Paul said in Galatians. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. These words come running into Jim's mind. Medically speaking, Jim is being told that the old man inside of him is going to die. And that the one person on the planet who could save him from the disease of cancer was now going to live inside of him. Now granted, he's going to have a 19-year-old girl living inside of him instead of a 29-year-old man, right? He's uncertain about what is this going to do to my sense of masculinity. But still, he knows her sacrifice is going to save his life. And again, the parallels between the medical world and the spiritual world come crashing down on him in ways that he's finding more and more difficult to escape. So the day comes. What day? April 23rd comes. Jim's in there with the nurses, and they're getting them all set up for the procedure. And they're celebrating his birthday. Because you see, when you have a bone marrow transplant, they will ask you, hey, whatever your old birthday was, ditch it. Forget about it. Leave it behind. Your new birthday from this day going forward is whichever day you receive that transplant. So it's April 23. They're singing happy birthday to him. They're telling him, ditch your old birthday. Every year forward, your birthday, you're going to celebrate it. April 23, April 23, April 23. Now, you know what Jim's old birthday was? You'd have no reason to know. I mean, I'm just messing with you, okay? <laughs> Transplant is on the 23rd. Jim's old birthday was April 20th. Difference of three days. A difference that was not wasted on Jim. Jim was confronted full on with the fact that the difference between the old man and new life came to him on the third day. Jim found himself confronted with the fact that he was going to come back from the dead on the third day because he was receiving the only blood on the planet that could save his life. Now, as all, as all of this is happening, because of confidentiality, Jim and Janelle know nothing about each other. Janelle just knows she's giving her blood to somebody who's got cancer. Jim just knows somebody's giving their blood to him. They don't know names, ages, races, genders, nothing. When the procedure is all done, if both parties want to, they can get each other's information and get a hold of each other. And Jim and Janelle decide to do this. And so one day, they're, they're on the phone and they're literally talking to each other for the first time. And Janelle says to Jim, hey, I got a tattoo to, to remind myself and to celebrate what we've experienced together. And Jim's like, do you have a lot of tattoos? And she's like, no, this is the only one. What'd you get? I got a puzzle piece. Why a puzzle piece? I got a puzzle piece to remind myself that I was the one piece of the puzzle that could save your life. And then Janelle tells Jim where she got that tattoo inked on her body. She said, I had him put that tattoo on the very spot that they took the blood out of my body that they used to save your life. And when she told Jim that, the presence and the power and the reality of God came crashing down on Jim in ways he just couldn't deny any longer. You see, what Janelle was telling him, it, it reminded Jim in a way that he could not brush off a scene. It reminded him of a scene that takes place at the end of, of John's biography of Jesus' life. Now, leading up to that scene, 
And Jesus has been crucified. He is dead. His lifeless body has been put into a tomb. They've rolled the stone there. They've sealed the thing up. And when they did, everything that Jesus taught and promised and did seemed to die with him. Hope itself seemed dead. But then three days later, these crazy women come running into his disciples saying, Jesus is alive. He's been resurrected. We've talked to him. We've touched him. We've seen him. The Lord is alive. And while the disciples want to believe this, they, 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 just, they can't. They can't until the resurrected Jesus appears to 10 out of the 11 remaining disciples. Thomas isn't there. I don't know what Thomas is doing. I don't know where Thomas is. He missed the party. But Jesus appears to the 10 and definitively proves to them that he is literally, physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And then Thomas shows up and the, the ten are like, you're not going to believe this. Those women, they're not crazy, at least not as far as the resurrection is concerned. But like, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas, his response is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were, Unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas saw the way he suffered, saw suffering just running rampant and unchecked in his world. Thomas said, I, I need more. I need more if I'm going to make myself vulnerable enough to have faith again. And about a week later, Thomas gets more. Jesus shows up. They are all there, Thomas included. And Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Come here. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out, Thomas. Give me your hand. Put it here in my side. Stop doubting and believe. When Janelle told Jim that she had a tattoo of a puzzle piece inked over the very spot where they took the blood out of her body that saved his life in a way that Jim just could not deny anymore, he was reminded of a time when Thomas doubted and Jesus rolled into town and showed him the very spots where the, the blood poured out of his body that saved Thomas's soul. And in that moment... Just like Thomas's doubts did, all of Jim's doubts disappeared. And just like Thomas, Jim cried out, my Lord and my God. Names have meaning. Everybody has a name. You can look your name up online and discover there's a meaning that goes with your name. Like take our pastoral staff, for example, right? They all have names. Pastor Eric is a pastor to students. Eric is a good Norris name. It literally means soul ruler or eternal ruler. It's a name meant to point people to God. Kind of a cool name, right? Pastor James is our associate pastor. James is a, a derivative from the Hebrew Jacob, which means usurper, liar, 
not, a, not as cool as a name for Pastor James. I don't know, you know. You have to check in with Meredith as to how, you know, like accurate that name fits his personality. Meredith is his wife. She can tell you. Um, pastor Laura is our, our children's pastor. The, the name Laura literally means victor or strength. And if you spent an hour with preschoolers, you know you need that, right? Amen. I looked it up. The name Michael literally means best pastor ever. <laughs> Get on Google and check. I don't know. It's just convenient, right? Names have meaning. The name Janelle means grace. I listened to another interview where Jim talked about what it meant to him that he came back from the dead after three days because he received a substitution of blood from the only person on the planet who could save his life, a person named Grace. For Jim, this, this whole story it was like being given an experiential understanding of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It was like God took him behind the curtain personally to show to him that he was really real. And Jim's response was to say yes to Jesus. To receive the blood of Jesus into his life to save him from his sin the way he'd received the blood of Janelle into his body to save him from cancer. To allow Jesus' blood to cleanse him the way he allowed Janelle's blood to cleanse him. Today, Jim's still a magician. You can look it up online. He does a show called The Maze. And for the first half of the show, and Jim performs illusions that blow people's minds. And then for the second half of the show, Jim tells a story. A story about how a girl named Grace saved his life from cancer. And how that helped him to realize that a man named Jesus saved his soul from sin. And then Jim invites people to surrender their lives to Christ to follow him. Now, not everybody responds to Jim's story the way that Jim did or the way that he would like them to. Take Janelle. Janelle is part of Jim's story. She knows Jim's story. She's been there at the maze several times and been a guest there on the show. But at least as recently as 2017, Janelle was still an atheist. Janelle was somebody who still said no to Jesus and what he came to do. Today, though, as we think about this story, a story that for sure is Jim and Janelle's story, a story that many of us would say, this is the story of Easter, this is Jesus' story. Today, though, the, 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 the truly important question for you and me is, is this your story? It's mine. Is it yours? Today, do you know that the wages of sin is death? A sin is like a poison running through our soul. It'll kill us emotionally and spiritually and relationally and more. Have you reached a point where you realize that Jesus laid down his life for you? Nobody took it from him. He gave it for you freely. 
Have, have you realized the truth in the words of the Apostle Paul? Paul says of Jesus, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Is this story your story? Have you experienced God's forgiveness and redemption and grace? So as we finish, we're going to pray together. And I want to pray for the different people in the room, the different people who are with us online. Because again, for, for some of us, some of us would say, yeah, I walked in those doors. This story is my story. And if that's you, I, I just, let, let's pray together and thank God for his forgiveness and redemption and grace in our lives. And if, if you're here today and for the first time you're realizing this story is your story, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I would love to pray with you and do that. And if you're here today, and you're like, you know what? I don't know. I'm not so sure about this whole Jesus, God, church thing. I want to invite you, even challenge you, to pray a dangerous prayer. Whether you think somebody's listening or not, I would invite you to ask God if he's really real, to do whatever he needs to do to prove that to you. Ask him to invite you behind the curtain and show himself to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for Easter, for the story of Easter and the risen Jesus. Father, for some of us today, we just want to say thank you Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that you redeemed our lives. Thank you for your grace poured out on us. Father, others of us today, we're realizing for the first time, this story is our story. And we haven't got everything figured out, but we've got enough figured out to know we need to be forgiven. God, forgive us, please. Our sin it's destroying us. We cannot fix this ourselves. We need a savior. One who has not sinned like we have. A lamb without blemish or spot. We need Jesus. We just want to surrender ourselves to him. Put our faith in his life and death and resurrection. And God, some of us here today, we're, just not, we're not sure about any of this. We don't even know if there's anybody listening to us talking right now. But God, if you are really real, please do whatever you need to to help us see that. Take us behind the curtain and show yourself to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>